Welcome back to the Spinner Rack, all of you new you maniacs here at the Marvel New Universe Comics Podcast, aka the voice of the new universe. We're your hosts, Stephen and... (laughs) Your name is written first in the script. (laughs) Yeah, it's usually the other way around. Oops. I guess I botched that one. Uh, I think I wrote that up, but yeah. And Andy, Stephen and Andy. If you haven't figured that out by now, or if this is your first episode of the show ever, it's always Stephen and Andy. Yes. Stephen's the one who's speaking now, and Andy's the one who always sounds clear and and like audible in the uh... (laughs) I got teacher mode plus dad mode. I gotta I gotta enunciate. Ah I just uh if, if all of my uh, comments sound like they're through gritted teeth, that's really my standard mode. Here we are, 52 weeks and 99 books in at almost 2,300 pages by my count. Uh, we have the new universe from um, issues 7 to 12 and Inc. 1, number 13 for you for this episode. It is our what we called uh, phase two or season two of the new universe, the back half of the first year where we still have all eight ongoing titles, but we start, uh, we do have distinct differences, I think from the first six months. Yeah, definitely. So from phase one to two, I would see our previous recap episodes for our thoughts on those. If I were you. And for differences from phase two to three, zero to one. Anyway. <laughs> <sighs> well, it's kind of one to two then, right? If phase one, we're finished with phase two, we just, you know, read all of, right? So what's different in phase two? Right. What's different in phase two is um, we'll be looking at tonight a, um, general situation with the new universe as it's uh, getting to this point. What ha- we'll sort of uh, recap what has happened and what's changed from phase one. And we'll um, go through each book individually with you know where it went over this time. And um, as we've said, the new universe at the end of the first year canceled half the books. And um, we'll be taking these in sort of our usual order, except we'll first go through the four books that got canceled, and then we'll go through the four books that um, were continued. And we'll, you know, compare, try to see what, what, the, uh, what their secret was, what the um, problems were with the canceled books. Um, and you know the ups and downs to the to the uh, eight series we started with. Um, the biggest change was probably that Jim Shooter left in this time period between um, Starbrand number six and um, whatever issues twelve of everything. Shooter pulled back a lot and then was fired in April of 1987, I guess. Yeah, I mean, a lot of the common knowledge backstory is generally like, you know, he, you know, a lot of his writers and artists didn't quite get along with him well. 
as well as maybe some of the upper management, but he was also trying to buy Marvel Comics too with some investors. So I think he was probably as as we're you know rounding out phase two of New Universe, right? He's probably spending less and less time working on it as he's kind of in a tough situation, plus, you know, trying to figure out if he can actually purchase Marvel Comics, which it sounded like he actually came pretty close to uh, pulling off, but not quite. Yeah, Shooter was, uh, had been editor-in-chief for, I think, about 10 years at that point. He uh, definitely established Marvel as a powerhouse of uh, publishing comics. And, I mean, they weren't just, like, the more popular publisher they were dominant in the marketplace by my understanding so yeah and i mean I think... they'd go oh no you had a continuation of the thought so you should go i've completely forgotten what it is now but... <laughs> my job is done <laughs> <laughs> yeah i was gonna say i think uh like early on uh, editorially he probably like it was more like shooter ruling with an iron fist kind of stuff, like sending back changes, like, no, this ain't right. You know, we got a bit of that from the Mike Rockwitz episode uh, where we interviewed him. Go check that one out too, if you haven't. But, um, and then I'm, I'm guessing it got looser uh, the rest of the way through. Right. So things were probably not as much having like the editor, editor in chief saying like, uh, no, no, that's not right. That's not, that doesn't fit the new universe. And so things got a little more flexible, I think for better or for worse. Yeah. Even though the new universe titles were a collaborative effort by several editors, Mark Gruenwald, Archie Goodwin did like half of them, uh, shooter and, I'm uh, forgetting someone. Um, there was, um, Definitely, but by most accounts, Shooter was, of course, driving the new universe. He was the one who was like, this is a great idea to launch these books and have this imprint. And then he was also the one who was like, this is realistic and that is not. You know, the, the suit that Spitfire wears is realistic. Like the robots showing up in Kickers Inc. was borderline. Um, so, I mean, he had a vision. But yeah, he was probably more he heavy-handed than the creators liked. You can imagine, like on a normal Marvel title, it's like as long as you didn't contradict a bunch of previous continuity, you were free to, you know, do almost anything you could dream up. So yeah, I think we're gonna get more of that kind of style comic booky world. Uh in phase three and, and four and like kind of moving on from here because yeah. like the first six was very much like establish the characters with usually the founding creators swapping <laughs> right so like the, the, founders, to, uh... the, the founders of these books didn't last uh a lot of times past an issue a couple issues or something like that um, and then in this group of books, like for six to 12, I think a lot of them started to kind of find their writer. Uh, funny that it's, it was almost never quite the writer that we thought it was going to be from like Marvel Age or something. It's like, Roy Thomas will be taking over, taking over Starbrand. We're like, eh, no, <laughs> doesn't happen. Yeah, yeah. They, uh, they definitely throw us a lot of curveballs in Marvel Age, which was the you know, as a reader at the time, that's really the only insight you have. I don't know. Maybe if your comic shop <laughs> owner was connected, <laughs> I don't know. Um, 
you would find out more about yeah we were constantly being told like someone is going to start this someone else is going to start this um but yeah yeah the there you're right the first few issues sort of established the book and maybe they sort of took a bit to get their footing so by the end of that first you know half year books had a creative team most of the time or a direction that was maybe not exactly what they started with but was like at least enough to keep going with mm-hmm. and yeah the the for the reputation of changing a lot of creative teams honestly it's not that bad um a lot of books had some con- more consistency than i expected going into this so right and i think we've said this before but we probably also benefit in that uh, like reading each book once a month instead of like back to back to back to back like if if there, if such a thing as a kicker's ink graphic novel with the whole story in it existed, uh, which it does not, like reading through that whole thing, it might be a lot more jarring than just kind of, you know, taking a month break in between, which is probably the better way to go. Yeah, that that's really something I noticed as well. The, um, yeah, kicker's ink. You 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 read a run of kicker's ink, and you're kind of it's a little whiplash from story mm-hmm. to story. But then if it's just one book out of eight, or even, you know, back then you would probably be reading a bunch of other Marvel books too. I mean, you're, you're not as, you know, sensitive to every little thing. And so it's, if it's just gives you a fun story the next month, yeah, fine, you know, moving on. That's, yeah. that's all I needed. <laughs> so, yeah. It sort of evens things out a bit oh. to read them in, in this order. Um, Definitely more than I, I remember the last time I tried reading a title by itself. Um, but let's see, is there much else? We did have a, a character die, a major right. character, title character. Are we trying to keep that a secret? Spoilers. Um, no, it's... Uh, let's call it him was... Mark H. No, <laughs> M. Hazard. <laughs> Um, you know, reserve is an Marvel age, kind of in a weird way. Yeah, they had like a secret. Um, it's like printed backwards in a mirror or something. I don't know. <laughs> no, no, it's, it's just the like spine it was tucked book. in the spine. Yeah, it's not um, quite as it wasn't quite as gratuitous as the like letters page for Spitfire, where they're like, <laughs> "Tune in next time, where we'll be roasting the, the troubleshooters over a spit or something." It's like. It's going to be real exciting as we kill these college kids. <laughs> yeah, they were not shy about that. But, uh, you know, a couple of troubleshooters aren't really like title characters. Um, I don't know, aren't yeah, they technically title characters since their names are in the title? Yes. Okay. At least until uh, uh, Steelhawk broke it, <laughs> literally on the title, breaking the troubleshooters part and of his degree is in chemistry but you would think he was a lawyer from his uh <laughs> solid defense of the troubleshooters as title <laughs> um yeah the marvel age it is it did give us a few things that were coming up and even now we've got sort of a look ahead through it that's uh you know the best we're going to do at this uh trying to to spoil ourselves on these things so yeah we're minimizing that as much as we can otherwise. I have one 
fun piece of new universe trivia, at least for um, like the first 25 or so issues. So I, I look, I've got a pile of all of the finished series sitting on my floor, um, the Spitfire, Night Mask, Kickers, and Mark Hazards. And we always spend way too much time talking about like what was the color on the title uh, of that uh, the bar on the top that says new universe and typically it was black border white letters uh, which for those 25 issues 13 times was white with black background like that was the most popular option yeah. uh, followed by yellow which appeared yeah. only four times at least in the in those four titles uh, we saw orange once gray twice which i was honestly a little surprised at uh, only once blue once green once uh, oh, another gray. Green. Maybe I miscounted. Uh, and then a couple times they had reversed, like black letters, white border. That was twice. And then uh, I think Night Mask in the end went black letters, red border. Mm. Yeah, the, let me see, was it the 12th issues or the, that uh, they started getting uh, creative with. Then what was. Uh, the, the annuals all had the um, sort of beginning black border, but there's like a white, black on white New Year's yeah. at top, and then giant size annual below that, white on black. Yeah, um, Night Mask was the most colorful. Like almost every time the Night Mask co cover had some kind of color, whereas Kickers was almost always black and white regular. So hmm, Useless yeah. New Universe trivia. Useless. No. <laughs> the some of the logos changed. You noticed the kickers had changed in the middle. Yeah, Merc lost Mark Hazard right at the end. Uh, the others, Spitfire and the Troublefire lost Troublefire turned into codename Spitfire. Yeah, we got books that changed their names, books that changed direction, books that changed their cast. Yeah. Speaking of which, we'll start right in with Spitfire and the Troubleshooters. AKA Spitfire, AKA Codename Spitfire. <laughs> <sighs> we, yeah. This one actually goes from seven to 13. So there was an extra bonus issue in there because of the funky month ahead that they were always doing. So. Right. It survived just a little bit longer because it started just a little bit earlier. <laughs> uh, but yeah, our, our typical codename Spitfire. Uh, this was Professor Jenny Swenson, who stole and then destroyed her father's advanced max armor, also his uh, AI. <laughs> um, she Everything also, else he left. She then uh, briefly went to prison and finally got herself shanghaied by the CIA. Uh, she, she was still Spitfire and now she has a codename, or maybe it's her partner, or maybe the whole operation, or maybe her dad's password. Or maybe the name of the armor. <laughs> every Everything was Spitfire in Spitfire. I think if the series had gone on a little bit longer, there would have been like another character who was also Spitfire. <laughs> some some like fourth mechanic. <laughs> I'm also in a genius at fixing cybernetic armor. Oh. Uh, okay. Yeah, so the, the arc of the last bunch of issues here kind of leading up to the end um you know issue seven is where we really kind of lose the troubleshooters 
so they have a showdown against Steelhawk. It does not go well. Um, R.I.P. Andy, the troubleshooter. R.I.P. Tim's legs. Uh, about and legs. the other ones kind of made it out okay, at least to that point. Um, issue eight was the Rolfing issue. Uh, showdown between um, uh, Giotti and the strong arms uh, ambushing Steelhawk. Uh, but he gets saved by his uh, never-to-be-seen-again uh, ninja girlfriend or something. <laughs> Maybe... It's know. a machine gun toting ninja. <laughs> Either be a ninja or use a machine gun. Don't do both. And uh, that was that was the first part of uh, the CIA just being total jerks and basically kidnapping Jenny and torturing her um, to see if she would give up the information about the armor, which they already had or something. Uh, issue nine. Uh, R.I.P. Strong Arms. Uh, those get destroyed because Giotti just wasn't feeling it anymore. Um, yeah, so I guess that's basically the the last we see of any tr- troubleshooters. Uh, Steelhawk's still alive, but he never really does much ever again. Uh, Jenny gets officially recruited, uh, stuck on a plane, and uh, stuck with noted psychopath Jake slash slash Oops, yeah, Hannigan. <laughs> and they <laughs> drop them into Afghanistan because that's what you do when you're the jerk CIA. Um, issue nine, though, also was the first appearance of VHS tape Professor Swenson. So, I mean, that's a key issue, I think. You might want to get that one graded. Slabbed and graded. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> uh, right, slabbed. Uh, issue 10, we're, they're fully Jenny and Jake in Afghanistan uh, fighting some. Uh, Russians with max armor. Uh, that is R.I.P. Physics. In that <laughs> issue, <laughs> it was a they fantastic. Were, they were yeah older maxes. They weren't cool maxes. I Maybe guess. made that out was of the problem. Perhaps made out of styrofoam. <laughs> In Soviet yeah. Russia, maxes made out of you. <laughs> when you put the robot inside of you. <laughs> <laughs> Is that how you reverse that scenario? <laughs> yeah. Grossest mental image ever. There were some interesting day. pieces to kind of like Jenny in Afghanistan. Uh, we got a lot of Afghanistan in phase two. Uh, but uh, yeah, the part where uh, <laughs> like they trip a max armor with holding a rope, <laughs> like each one holding one piece of it, uh, always sticks in my mind. Anyway. Uh, yeah, there, there's like... Like, you know, many times I'll say cinematic realism is enough, but even then you'd in a movie theater, you'd be like, oh, come on. Tie it around a stump or something. Uh, but yeah, the uh, issue 11, um, they get out of Afghanistan. That's where we see the new suit, uh, which had kind of shown up in pictures and like cover corner, the corner of the cover and such. Um they kind of tested out with some battle in South America. We get uh, a new team to a degree. Uh, the new Max Armor gets wrecked anyway. <laughs> uh, issue 12 was the first appearance of AI Professor Swenson, not to be done, but outdone by VHS tape Professor Swenson. <laughs> I think your your concept of combining the two was the, the you know, most uh, <clears throat> promising uh, thing we've seen yet but 
Yeah, I've even got more added to my uh, fan fiction for that, but I'll wait till later to share that. Um, but yeah, they fight some terrorists. Uh, and then 13, which was the final issue, uh, flying cyborgs and yet another Max Armor and yet another new guy, Willie. Um, and my notes say, <laughs> RIP Jenny's Moral Code. Because <laughs> <laughs> that was the one where she's like, F it, it's okay to kill people. <laughs> yeah, she's uh, wholly consumed by the CIA's laws. Um, it's a, I don't know, 13 was a real retro style one uh, where they get, where they're definitely not abiding by first principles of maximum realism. No, it's a tough way to end the series too, because whereas a lot of the other books had some kind of closure, like you could tell, like they were at least trying to cram in an ending. Um, didn't really get that with Spitfire. It's just kind of like, all right, here's the last issue that we had finished. Yeah, he's like, um, by the way, you just sold your soul to the CIA. They're the devil. Anyway, have a good time. <laughs> Bye, Willie. Well, I'm Willie's out. Yeah, I don't know. Um, <laughs> it's a, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a, there's a lot of stuff going on in those issues. They never uh, slow down. I got to give them that. Yeah. I would, I would say like what worked is that it was kind of a lot of fun. Like, like there's a, a lot of kind of wacky stuff and kind of interesting characters. Um, you know, again, you know, while it's maybe objectively kind of silly, the, uh, yeah, the, the, the continual return of her father in digital form <laughs> uh, was just kind of great. I'm like, that's that's a high point for me even if it was again goofy and maybe not that <laughs> uh doesn't necessarily make that much sense uh for me what worked i mean the i like the initial um direction more than i think the writers or editorial did um but i i would have been okay with like something <clears throat> more like codename spitfire um in that like if she had been out there trying to stop you know an international proliferation of max armors you know sure that makes that makes sense for her to be involved in that uh even if it's like a spy kind of thing you could you know rationalize her involvement with it um she ends up sort of feeling more like the pilot you know like yeah than like a scientist or a creator. So that's a little frustrating. Um, losing the troubleshooters and then the CIA um, gang that she hooks up with, uh, her new boss we're, is shown to be lying to her, you know, and, mm -hmm. and tricking her. And they never sort of come back to that in any way. And she's never sort of expressing suspicion of him at, at a later point at which it should have come up. So... Would that have been a, a viable long-term thing, or I don't know? Yeah, I would. I like just a little twist on it, and maybe a, a more regular team to kind of follow through with it. But you know, if she was kind of reluctantly working with the CIA because she needed, obviously, like maybe their like legal protection and money, like for when this thing gets smashed to bits and she doesn't have a job anymore. Um, and then so maybe kind of play you know like she's kind of being stuck between you know what she really wants to do you know kind of 
live your life, protect the kids and, you know, try and get rid of internationally stolen Max armors kind of thing. But she kind of needs the CIA to do it, but she doesn't really trust them. So there's kind of like an interplay there. But then you could have just kept the troubleshooters as like a backup team hanging out in the States, um, you know, as like tech support almost, you know, so like they're not going on missions if they wanted to go in that direction. I'm like, all right, it's really unsafe for a bunch of college kids to go into robo combat. Um, but she could have, they could have been finding these things kind of, you know, using the mind hack thing and <laughs> figuring out where they are. And then she goes to like South America where there's some, you know, hacked together, funky version of the max armor. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. A, lot of, a lot of cool ways you could go with it yeah it would have um you know that would have been i i you know worth following for for a few more uh, issues um so i don't know sometimes i honestly felt that the, the writers or the editors were just anti-spitfire you know it was like there was something about this character that they didn't want to work on and so they sort of worked around her or tried to get her off stage or, or i don't know yeah sort of like if someone was told like i need you to write a book about this character and you're like may do anything but write about this character i don't know i don't know if um yeah i, I don't know yeah because really no... in the older issues they pretty much had the the troubleshooters took over the book for quite a while while she was tossed in jail uh having parties right, right. with big bridget and then you know after that and they kind of made all these other characters that were kind of her equal you know yeah. or like jake travis is kind of splitting the time 50 50 yeah that was the, the still frustrating that jake was like oh he's a crazy person this was really gonna have some repercussions i What's the point of that? I don't know. Yeah, we got maybe like one issue of that really. He was slightly anything. more heavy handed um, interrogating some prisoner than <laughs> the regular people would be. But OK, um, it's also kind of a loss because there's uh, it's one of the books that doesn't have paranormals. So it feels a little bit more even if they're like flying suits, they're like more relatable in some way to normie people. So having a couple of those around would, would feel good in the new universe. Yeah. In trying to think about why it wasn't renewed, this is a really interesting one because it looks like they spent a lot of time trying to kind of like give it another push, right? Like they gave it a new title. Um, they had in-house ads for it, which like the other books didn't really get. Um, mm. So yeah, it's like, all right, here's a whole new direction, a whole new team, a new Max Armor, like these advertisements and all this stuff. But but then, yeah, like they didn't really follow up on that. Like it took forever to see the the actual new suit. And then when we did, it was only like twice. Yeah, you've got creative, like the, the I think Carrie Bates built it up for quite a while. And then you get a... Um, but it was like the Fabian Nicieza and then a couple that felt very fill in. So mm. it may have just been, yeah, we built it up, but then shooter's gone. So no one cares anymore. Let's wrap it up. We had a couple of fill in issues in the bag. Let's throw them in and let it get, get on with wrapping <laughs> it up. So 
Yeah, I don't know. It's definitely I I I it always when we say, you know, several of these books feels like a missed opportunity. This is one of the stronger cases where you know, give me the early direction, give me the second direction, instead you just kind of yeah, whatever. Yeah. It's too bad. It's got so many elements that I like. <laughs> exactly. There's um the book the issues the late issues are mostly, um, I mean, there's fun elements in them, so I don't want to, you know, badmouth them. I think I, I said like the one that I was most disappointed in, <laughs> but uh, um, let me not belabor the point. Mm. Um, so okay, okay, yeah. Should we get? Do we want to give it like the entire series and overall letter grade? Uh, yeah, I, I, guess I we... did. Okay, go for yours. Then. C plus. C plus. Okay. Consistent with the way we kind of rank uh, episode or issues as far as that goes, uh, we've very rarely leaked into the DF range. <laughs> uh, we're yeah. passing these books along, and little Timmy gets to go to fourth grade. But uh, yeah, it's C plus for me. It's one of the weaker ones, which is too bad because it has a lot of my favorite, you know. Nobody cares about side characters. Yeah. Um, I guess I'd have to, I'll go with C plus there as well. It's kind of a, um, my, my conception of, you know, B is like enjoyable and uh, better or worse, but when you dip into C, you know, there's, there's a serious flaw and there's, there are serious flaws in Spitfire and whether it's the publishing of it or behind the scenes um it's not an an unalloyed pleasure so (laughs) fair enough never hated it but definitely was left scratching my head (laughs) there you go well uh we'll move on to night mask which only had issues 7 to 12 in this case night mask keith remsen is a young paranormal who can enter people's dreams in the disguise Night Mask, with his sister Teddy as a psychic anchor, guidance from Dr. Lucian Ballad, and fan service from physical therapist Lidra Mercado, he helps others at the Ballad Dream Clinic. So uh, Night Mask was a fairly low-stakes book um, with about a paranormal who had the power to enter other people's dreams, and his sort of family and support uh, group that, you know, form that were like real psychologists. Um, so to have a legitimate purpose for this, they've got a whole uh, clinic and real patients and sometimes, you know, government contacts coming in and stuff like that. Um, all with the purpose of him going into people's dreams and either figuring out what they can't, you know, solve for themselves or some clue that'll help a real world mystery come together, something like that. Um, we had some interesting things with a um, rival, the gnome, early, who was responsible for the death of his parents. Um, and Madame Midnight, that was pretty cool, too. But um, overall, it's been a little bit more like uh, patient, of the, patient of the month uh, kind of issues. Um, we started off in number seven with uh, Lita's brother, um, the Thomas is reading, writing this yet? Yet, uh, I believe so. Yes. 
So Roy Thomas and Dan Thomas had taken over this and certainly in a, they looked at Lita's brother's strange behavior and getting in gang fights and tried to uh, solve some of that problem because of course Lita is an important part of their team. Um, Issue seven also notably had the art from Michael Bear in like the workout montage that <laughs> heavily <laughs> featured the glutes. Oh yeah, there was a little more uh, spice in that one than we usually get. But um, then, speaking of art, number eight, uh, one of my favorite uh, New Universe um, villain artists, we'll call him uh, Keith Giffen, comes by and. Um, illustrated a real interesting story of someone's um, dreams about justice, the other new universe title. And uh, Keith is kind of lost in the dream uh, for a long time and doesn't really understand what's going on. But uh, eventually it sort of all makes sense. And it's pretty good uh, talking about uh, his sense of guilt over losing his parents, survivor's guilt, I guess. Um, that sort of thing. And um, Giffen's expressionistic work really uh, fit in really well in that issue. Then um, that's sort of, we get to a second issue that seems to be kind of treading the same ground, but uh, it was what Mark Bagley's first work, perhaps. Yeah, that's right. And uh, it's more of uh, Keith's uh, internal self dreams, dreaming about a mysterious woman who is obviously Lita Mercado. And uh, again, dream a little more uh, guilty about his um, situation. That one's another key issue because it is the first appearance of werewolf Lucian Ballad. <laughs> <laughs> if you don't remember that one, <laughs> it was just uh, one of the cool parts about that issue was there was some pieces where Keith wasn't sure if he was dreaming or not. So he's like, went to talk to Lucian at night and he started, Lucian started getting kind of weird and turned into a werewolf and tried to eat him. <laughs> there was, um, I mean, Egley for an early work was, was uh, doing a pretty good job there. A lot of uh, very weird dream imagery, even in a more uh, realistic style than Giffen's. Um, Nevertheless, it was very clear, like he's dreaming these bizarre characters, like Sesame Street character and Alice in Wonderland, all trying to kill him, and right? Werewolves and things like that. Um, I mean, even if it was kind of a felt fill-in, it was a very fun story. So, yeah, no complaints there. Um, and then we jump into the that uh, I really think of. Uh, as, as Roy Thomas um, producing some strong work here. So this trilogy of issues uh, starts off with a Lucian ballad, uh, Teddy and Keith in a mystery um, where Lucian gets a message from home. Um, Keith's kind of uh, doesn't know what's going on with him, but he starts acting strangely and having a run of bad luck. Things just sort of spill on him. But then he also is like short-tempered and yelling at someone unusually. Um, and Keith and Teddy were invited with him to go to a psychiatrist convention in New Orleans where they're going to expose some of the night mask work to the public, which is kind of looming over that. So 
Lucian's background is uh, that he grew up in Haiti, and so they know that there's some connection there, but they don't really realize how deep his family is connected to voodoo in Haiti. Um, we start seeing little hints of it, and we see a couple of mystery characters who are talking to Keith and maybe stealing locks of his hair and things like that. And so we think something's going on. Um, and when we finally get a airplane to New Orleans, Lucian has to go back to get something. And it appears that he's being kidnapped, actually, out of the airport. So it's going to happen there, we thought. The next we got issue, an evil twin situation. Evil twin what? situation. No. no. <laughs> yes, that's exactly what we have. So... We've got a uh, convention in New Orleans and they're doing some sightseeing with Keith and Teddy and Lucian who shows up there and doesn't have, you know, nothing's going on. Everything's perfectly normal. Oh, except he starts picking fights with the other psychiatrists and like trashing his own reputation, leaving little X's at Madame Laveau's cemetery, all kinds of crazy stuff. Hmm. And so, you know, as the mystery builds and Keith is having these recurring dreams where he's fighting a giant white snake, not the band, I mean, a real <laughs> Conan thing. Um, they, they finally reveal the, the secret of what's going on. And that is that Lucian had been replaced by his evil twin. Sorry for I spoiling know, that on you. I'm sorry. But, you know, usually that would sound pretty trite to me, but it was a lot of fun. And it was like, oh, that actually works in the new universe. You know, it's like we don't know Lucian's family from Adam. So maybe, you know, why not? Why it, does, not it sounds very Scooby-Doo, but it was well put together. Well put together. So we finally went to a uh, confrontation at a Humfo in Haiti. Where? Humfo? Humfo. That's what the uh, Loa told us to go to. Um, to the Humfo. What was the um, title of it? There was um, when you're like a big man in voodoo. Forget now. Oh, yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll get back to you on that. Okay. Mama Andy did was you. the lady one. All right. And he uh, researched voodoo so far down that I was. Uh, <laughs> Glad to see Ed not sacrificed a chicken to get our ratings up. <laughs> I was just trying to show you up. Final confrontation between um, Keith and this uh, evil Tullius in both the physical world and the imaginary Loa world, where Keith is now representing Dambala and uh, Tullius uh, is channeling the chained beast. And uh, thanks to help from Teddy, actually, Keith um, wins. Tullius is embarrassed and everyone sort of disbelieves his connection now to the uh, voodoo gods. And um, there's that kind of, a, it's not like a great ending, but there's a nice kind of quiet moment at the end where Keith's talking to um, Teddy and this Mambo Matilda who kind of guided them through this. Um, he's trying to get a favor for Teddy, but he can't. And they just sort of realize they have to continue with their life as it is. Mm -hmm. um, 
Yeah, they, they did a nice job in that of like not going too magic-y, you know, like their my voodoo powers allow me to have super strength and fly or whatever. It was like all of the voodoo stuff really kind of played out in Keith's dream world or almost like the like an interesting waking dream kind of thing they did uh at the end of it. But uh yeah, like ultimately it was kind of like he was defeated. Um because the other people lost confidence in him. So like he lost his power over them as like, they saw that he could fail. Like it wasn't like, you know, the, the voodoo spirit was banished and exploded and, or manifested itself in the real world and started hitting people. And, you know, it was, it did a nice job kind of keeping it uh new universe, real, not like God's walk the earth, Marvel style kind of stuff. Right. Yeah, Night Mask is an interesting case because it kind of walks a line that can veer into mystery or horror or fantasy and doesn't want to get too deep into any of them, but has a sort of an entry point to them. And so between the dream worlds of of various patients or in this case, this um, sort of mass dream of... um, the religious uh, fervor of these uh, people that were uh, following this guy. I don't know. It, it's, it hangs together. It tells a good story. And uh, I wasn't going to complain about, you know, oh, you can ha- only have paranormals, but you can't have this or that. <laughs> That's, uh, maybe the wrong approach to take with the comics. <laughs> <laughs> maybe. <laughs> um, I would say, you know, what worked the, the, the characters were pretty consistent and the setup was pretty basic and could be repeated with a lot of different stories. And so, you know, we had things that were sometimes, um, you know, more fun than others, but you don't have to get too far off of that formula to have a, a fun story. And, you know, some new characters come in, you try to figure out their problem or their conflict. You like know. can't read. <laughs> Can't read, uh, brother trying to kill me. Whereas um, <laughs> the the Native Americans, I'd forget, arguing over an inheritance, stuff like that. You know. Yep. <laughs> I mean, it would work as a TV show for 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 a while. I don't know. Yeah, I think for me, like what worked is yeah, pretty much a mirror of what you said, right? Like the the core concept wise, this is one of my favorites for the new universe. Um, because it's not really like a brand new idea, but it still felt like kind of a new idea. The the dream world scenarios kind of thing. He doesn't really have powers, right? He can't punch somebody out uh, better in a street fight than any anyone else has been trained by Lita. But you know, he can fall asleep he, to their couch and you know solve <laughs> their dream problems. When he would like just <laughs> fall asleep to go, uh, I gotta go help out. <laughs> Right. Never that failed to secret, crack me up. That was his secret power. But yeah, and, and like, really like the characters, you know, whether they were truly well developed or not, um, you know, they, they were all kind of a lot of fun, right? So Lita and Teddy and Keith, uh, Keith being kind of horny a bunch of the times in his dreams or like chasing after Lady Midnight kind of relentlessly and things like that was, was pretty fun. Uh, but yeah, so yeah, the characters and the uh, the setup with some of my favorite. So it's a, um, but yeah, the, the 
So is there a problem with it? Uh, it's kind of low stakes, I guess. Yeah, um, low stakes. And then you never get like the conclusion to some of the things they were setting up, right? Basically the gnome midnight story. It's like, oh no, she's got your dream saved in her dream memory banks now. Like she's, or or no, she could, she could get, get to Teddy was like the threat. Um, and then she never showed up again, unfortunately. So, yeah, we would have liked to see more with that uh, storyline go somewhere. Um, would that have helped? I don't know. But... I don't know. It probably wouldn't have helped save the series, but like it would have been nice to have closure. I, I think in the like way later comics, the like return to the new universe stuff, which I've never read, like there's like a gnome follow up or something. But the, I think you're right. Yeah. The comics look so funky and modern it's a very different art style yeah yeah i don't like it <laughs> i i don't know maybe it's for later but i i would say even with these some of these series you could take like a you could find like a good four issues that you could like spin a, a decent um trade paperback out of not necessarily the first four or the last four but sometimes you can you know Put together a decent run uh, and and this i mean like i just said that last three issues is a pretty solid um it's a little harder for the early issues because you don't have that payoff that we would have liked right otherwise i would say those would also be a good yeah. i think it also has the best uh covers of the bunch of like these first four I think by far has like the coolest, most interesting. Very nice. Yeah. Covers. Sandy Plunkett is, does a few of them and <laughs> writes a couple of things. Um, and that, yeah, it's a real nice style. Absolutely. Uh, do we have a grade for, for night mask? I do. I gave it a B plus. I don't remember falling in love with everything when I was reading each issue because it's like some of them, uh, especially in the earlier group, uh, weren't that good like some of the fill-in-y kind of ones like but they were always still kind of fun but you know looking back on it like i just have fond memories like i, I kind of want to read it again like i this is the one one of them for sure i wished kept going uh i'll throw out a b i it seems like whenever i'd read it i'd i'd give an issue a b it, it always feels like i i enjoyed reading it it's maybe not super memorable or you know, like higher or lower than that, but an enjoyable comic. Yeah, you know. Yeah. Well, I mean, for this part, we got like three issues with a heavy Lita Mercado focus. We had that cool Justice stalking the, you know, weirdo in his dreams. And then we had kind of like a, a conclusive arc with Dambala. So it was a pretty solid uh, back half of Night Mask. There wasn't any real stinkers. That's true. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Justice as seen through <laughs> a third character. Yeah, that that's still is like one of my favorite uh, appearances of Justice as well. It's uh, yeah, having him like actually like terrifying and kind of like menacing is is really yeah. a, an interesting look for him. All right, uh, do we move on? Yeah, let's let's head on to the next uh Pickers Incorporated. Pickers Incorporated. Yeah. We <laughs> sound uh, like a British comedy troupe kind of voice. <laughs> <laughs>
yeah, so Kickers Inc. issues 7 through 12. Uh, top professional football player and everyone's favorite quarterback, Jack Magnaconti, gains real superpowers, possibly from his shifty scientist brother, but probably from the white event, uh, maybe with a combination of buzzing sounds. Uh, when his brother is killed, uh, he bands together with his wife and his teammates to form Kickers Inc., a last resort answer to people who need help and can use a phone book, as well as a target for CIA scams. Because, dang, CIA, man, like just the bane of the new you. Um, but so far, all, all it's cost Jack is his quarterback position, football team, and any public respect. Uh, but he did manage to keep his marriage together somehow. It was close. That was helpful, yeah. Of course. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I always kind of want to go back to issue one again. Just it, it's it's become a bit epic in my mind. But yeah, he, he gets uh, classic powers from the white event, Cap- Captain America style, kind of strength, speed, uh, moderate invulnerability, not Superman level. <laughs> um, yeah, he forms up with the kickers. They go on a couple of wacky adventures. Um, we have an interesting DP7 crossover in the early on. Um, but from 7 through 12, the, the back half and end of the series, uh, issue 7 was the Circus of Crime. I loved it. <laughs> uh, Jack also starting to run into issues with uh, rec- people recognizing that maybe something's up with him, whether he's just on super steroids or something. Um Issue eight was the Super Bowl in which the kickers lost and Jack bailed on them. Um, so the last bit of football that we see in Kickers Inc., which made me sad because I spent all this time working on the roster. <laughs> She's probably the only person to bother to do that in the history of the new universe, but maybe I give myself too much credit. Um, issue nine had uh, the tennis issue, right? So tennis match, battle of the sexes. Battle of the sexes, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Jack got canned, <laughs> sort of, maybe, uh, or at least suspended. Um, 10 was an interesting break. So this was kind of uh, the the back half was them kind of getting back to some sort of adventures. But yeah, the CIA sets him up to go on this mission to rescue some crashed pilots, um, puts everybody in danger. Uh, Jack ends up having to kind of save the day and rescue all his friends and kill people in the process. Um, and they did kind of a nice job focusing on like the emotional impact of that. You know, Jack is always kind of a struggle. Uh, whereas in the beginning, he was very much like, all right, I can do this. You know, let's win. Uh, then he's kind of like, oh, well, I almost decapitated that guy in the football field. <laughs> and oh, I had to kill these South Americans because of the CIA. And so a bit of a, an internal struggle. Uh, and even between writers, that that seems to be a common thread that kind of worked. Um, issue eleven, <laughs> yeah, I you wrote uh, Jack versus undocumented janitor, comma mob. I wrote uh, kickers versus cocaine janitor. <laughs> it's not really versus on janitor, but yeah, he's I, that. Well, <laughs> continue, yes, but yeah, uh, you know. Their their janitor, who was apparently doing a nice job cleaning cleaning the place, um, it would have been funny if he had connections to Steve Magnacotti or something. But uh, was a cocaine mule basically, and uh, the, the some of the kickers tried to rescue him, and Jack was trying to throw him in jail, and so it was a bit of a throwdown. 
Um, it was a pretty wacky issue. Um, and then 12, which was our final, um, didn't always feel like a final. It was like a strange charity run where they get into a bar fight with some Canadian hockey players. And then in order to kind of rescue their reputation, they have like a charity race where they jog through the wilderness with no cameras. Uh, but the CIA was like trying to sabotage them and trying, I think, trying to figure out whether or not all of the kickers had some kind of secret ability. So they end up basically trying to kill all the regular kickers and, uh, you know, putting Jack in this weird scenario with a hologram Bigfoot and aliens and exploding cabins. And <laughs> it's, it's pretty bonkers, honestly, as far he as uh, tells everyone about it. It's like, it's <clears throat> too crazy. Like no one <laughs> believes in. But. Yeah. <laughs> um and that that was kind of it like it wasn't really uh it didn't have much wrap up uh whereas uh night mask tried to kind of throw something in at the end to kind of give a little bit of closure with some characters uh kickers inc just kind of ended it ended weird it's, yeah it really would have you know benefited from an extra issue at least to kind of get some of this a little bit cleared up because it it's another case where it seemed like people were doing things behind the scenes and right. the, you know, Jenny never noticed that the CIA was lying to her about her father and the kickers never noticed that the CIA was, you know, pulling strings for at least two or three of these issues behind their backs. Yeah. There was a, um, even though I, it always uh, sounded very inconsistent, like we were saying before, if you read them issue to issue, um this is actually like there's a creative team of um Altaville and Kavanaugh, yeah, Kavanaugh yeah. that starts in about issue six where there's this uh Jack Thwarty um jetliner hijacking. Yeah. Then they do the circus of crime and there's a lot of, that's a lot of fun. And then the Super Bowl and the Battle of the Sexes. Then it's two other writers on 10 and 11. And they come and the uh, Kavanaugh and Altville come back for 12. So those are, you know, like I was saying, you can kind of, with the, those five, that's not a bad run, honestly. It feels more uneven because the issues that they put in in the middle there were like more unlike that. Yeah. That they've been doing. Um, but their style was, I found pretty fun. You know, it's definitely lighter. It's almost a comedy book in some ways. Yeah. Jack in particular, as written by them, uh, was like a little bit childlike. It's like, it's like oh boy, oh boy, oh boy, I want to go too. And, you know, <laughs> yeah. it's like, I want to see Bigfoot. <laughs> Maybe we'll find um, him. Easily distracted. Yeah. <clears throat> um, but I mean, the, the fill-in, uh, well, the extra issues... That CIA uh, mission where Jack uh, kills someone that was uh, talked about before as a potential crossover with Merck, which would have been pretty interesting. Yeah, because it was it was kind of adver advertised to be, and then they probably had to like rewrite rewrite it a little bit and throw it out there. Um, and <laughs> I think the eleven was like another new writer or something, and it was a case where it was more that the writer sort of overstuffed the issue. There was like a lot of panels on a page or something, and it was just even yeah. if you know it that was one a was case a bit story, much. 
Yeah, it felt like overstuffed. So that was um, Dwight Zimmerman. Zimmerman. Okay. I don't remember. Well, yeah, it was the only time we saw him. So um, there's fun issues in there, and you know the uh, when you're when you if you sit down to read Kicker's Ink all at once, you you're kind of the tonal whiplash is a bit much, but spread out once a month. I, I had a pretty good time with most of them. Yeah. I really did too. And and I think like it's probably like the most like butt of the joke for the new universe. Like on the outside, people will remember or just look at and say, like, this is the most garbage comic book of the new you kind of thing. Um, but yeah, I really kind of liked it. It's just like there's there's not much downside. Um, there is like a little twin twinge of so bad it's good kind of stuff, um, maybe more around the early on than later stuff but yeah I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit of a football fan i'm not like crazy football guy um but he's like, got a big foam finger on his hand right as he's <laughs> raw raw uh, actually the the nfl draft is going on today like right now so if i was really hardcore i'd probably be watching that or something just like people reading a list of names you could just look at tomorrow but <laughs> uh, yeah like the football was kind of fun i i, I liked the I mean, whether it was intended or not, like the whole series kind of had an arc of like Jack trying to kind of deal with having these powers. And I think it kind of worked. I always liked likened it to like, um, yeah, again, he's kind of like Captain America, but he's a real dude. Right. So like he's not going to be perfect all the time. And, you know, he's susceptible to like ego and maybe wanted to make money or you know, he gets a little like weird and overprotective you know, with his kickers guys after that CIA mission gone wrong kind of thing. And, you know, loses his temper a little bit and he's like, like a real person instead of like super perfect guy. Yeah. Yeah. The, I mean, a lot of the uh, characters, other characters who have paranormal powers are trying to keep a low profile, but if you're like a celebrity and you you suddenly have the power to like steamroll over people like that yeah it's like he's a he's doubly careful and yet you know has twice as many temptations i guess going around to use the power in this situation and that situation um the moral yeah the morality of some of it was a little was was we kind of uh, laughed at as well because it does seem like continuing in his sporting career would it was a bad idea but um yeah eh, you know or letting the mob kill some crazy <laughs> chemist guy <laughs> uh, but um yeah it's a uh it's definitely a book with a bad reputation and yet you know it's not uh, unreadable by any by our standards, certainly. So. Yeah, this is like a thousand times better than NFL Super Pro, the football themed book of the nineties. <laughs> that was exceptionally uh, bad. This has got some good writing and some decent art and some fun stories, and <laughs> doesn't take itself too seriously. You know, there's it's uh, it's uh, what you call it. Football is always sort of a like less um, there's less movies about football. There was a few in the seventies, I think, but um, generally, you know, baseball is like the cinematic sport, I guess there's uh, field of dreams and, um, and a number of things where it's like, Oh, the 
even major league, you're like the yeah. myth of the game and blah blah blah. Um, football is a little more. It's slow and you can't see the actors' faces, right? I mean, they gotta wear these all-encompassing masks kind of stuff. Like, so it's not gonna make good movies. Like, it's just not exciting enough. It doesn't translate to movies. Cause I think the people who like football are like excited about the team that might win, or kind of like that. Anything can happen, what's gonna happen next, kind of thing. But in the movie football, it's always like a little like cartoonish hits kind of stuff or you know, like Rudy and like these like stupid feel good stories about the guy who just pulls off that one moment just because he cared enough kind of thing or no offense, Rudy fans. <laughs> but yeah, it just doesn't work. Like it, it's fundamentally, I think would be hard to make a good football comic or a good football movie kind of thing. I think people like that Friday Night Lights TV series, but I think I'm guessing that was more about the characters than the you know the game stuff that being said i've never watched it so i probably shouldn't opine on it too much <laughs> yeah football's a tough sell like nobody's ever going to make a, a popular football comic i don't think any sports honestly just doesn't translate well to comics and sequential art versus like live movement is just i don't think it works well i mean there <laughs> aren't there a bunch of sports manga though that's a good point yeah, like yeah, their their style of like tennis or something. Like, yeah, there's yeah. tennis, basketball. Pretty much every sport I think has a manga on it. Yeah, maybe maybe you just need the Japanese to pull it off. Yeah, it's slightly different st- story style. So well, they're all pretty much hero's journey, right? Like some scrappy kid who happens to have like some exceptional skill at you know throwing a curveball or something, and an escalating series of uh, matchups. But yeah, they're all the same story, I think, fundamentally. Yeah, you're, you're, yeah. But yeah, you're you got right. me on that one. You're right. The manga stuff is actually <laughs> pretty interesting. The American comics, not so much. Uh, yeah, but well, what happened to the fist? Come on, the fist. Yeah. Can we go? There was back a number up? of things that did not get payoffs. Uh, Darlene was <clears throat> sick in one one issue, and then never heard from again. Jack's uh, maybe getting fired was not really brought. They were kind yeah. of cagey about what happened with that and his drug <laughs> test and everything. I don't know. Suicides one day, drug problem and stuff. <laughs> He's popping Demerol like they're Pez. <laughs> one issue. And then Can't <laughs> reach the pills. Just need the pills. Yeah, that moment where like the janitor had crashed into him and like he was on the ground you know, writhing in pain and trying to get his pills <laughs> while the janitor was trying to hide the cocaine before brick wall got to him. It's like, okay. I, I, maybe I was unfair giving a hard time to number 11. That was pretty funny. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But no, it was overwritten. Like there was just too much, like the, the fundamental as of the comic books were a little rough there, even if uh, some of the moments were pretty great. Like where they, uh, tricked the mobsters into letting them run a football play with the kid they were gonna all gonna kill and, you know finally warming yes you know? okay. <laughs> oh, but that's rating? why that's why i like it so are we at overall rating time is there more to say about kickers i i feel bad like that these are the last things we're going to talk about these books like as oh, i will somehow work the ghost of steve magnaconti into things 
Gotta always bring it in conversation. Hmm. I think th- I forgot to point out the kickers versus the Canadians, like smacked of um, the miracle on ice to me. Uh-huh. It's a little, I mean, it's Russians, but a couple of years before there's like the big uh, ice hockey standoff. And so having Canadian hockey team be like the um, anti kickers cracked me up a lot. I mean, yeah, that's that missed opportunity, though. Like, they could have been kind of like a rival. <laughs> Even if you went like total ham and like one of the hockey guys ended up getting powers from the white event or something, then you have like a real interesting uh, yeah. or something. But, like, <laughs> you know, they beat them to the scene of the, you know, the rescuer or the call or whatever kind of thing. Ah, these blasted Canadians got here first. And, like, we'll show them we'll be the real saviors. And then they all kind of end up wrecking everything because they don't get along. Yeah. This uh, Altaville and Kavanaugh is like, um, creativity was pretty high the i mean they would just have like a a new secretary you hadn't seen before who would flirt with suicide and it would be like it would crack you up i mean the the circus of crime that whole issue was just one insane character after another Um, i'm a sucker for circus villains good times good times. i don't really like the joker that much so Mm. <laughs> too, too edgy nowadays <laughs> uh so i i ranked this one a b again it was always kind of one of my favorites uh even though if it objectively had some comic book problems um i put a little below night mask which i'm not really sure why but a little below night mask i do as well so i give it a b minus i guess um it's in the enjoyable range but the shift some of the shifts and changing artists and things maybe i'm being a little harder on it there than i need to be but well the second half was definitely better than the first which is good right it it improved and and one of our issues was basically a dp7 issue (laughs) yeah i mean it's hard to count that it's so like extra dp7 and then extra kickers um but overall, yeah, I don't uh, regret a moment of reading it. So, no, go. So, yeah, go buy a run of Kickers Inc. Don't believe the haters. Just read it. Ah, let's tell see. them we sent you, and then go to kickersinc.com. <laughs> also, our Twitter handle, Kickers Inc. Um, Self plug there. All right, the next issue on our uh, list and the last of the canceled books mark hazard merc going from seven to twelve plus the annual so we did have a spare here and it's double sized so i guess that puts it as the probably the highest page count of the bunch i guess so yeah we're um Lucky that annual came out because otherwise it would have felt pretty unsatisfying. Yeah, if you never got the actual life or death of Mark Hazard before the comic stopped publishing, that would be uh, that'd be a bit of a problem. Though mm. then Mark, you could imagine he's still alive. So yeah, I mean, I, I I've got a vivid imagination. I've read a lot of comic books. People get off their deathbeds all the time. 
Mark Hazard Merck, combat veteran Mark Hazard, had been a soldier of fortune since Vietnam, but he lost his relationship with his son and ex-wife. He tried to put his family back together and reevaluate his life while dealing with the real-world repercussions from his decades of fighting. Where did it get him? Got him dead. Ah. So we first met Mark Hazard. He's a mercenary. He's doing overseas missions, but then he's coming home and trying to do like domestic stuff with his family and still getting dragged into crazy anti-terrorist missions here at home. Um, We, we had a couple of memorable issues uh, to start off the series. Then we had a couple of, um, Less memorable issues by the same writer, Peter David, but um, the art was getting pretty rushed. So don't know what happened with all the behind the scenes there, but all the way back in issue five, we get a new writer and it's uh, Doug Murray who'd, take, who'd started uh, The Nom recently. And whenever I read uh, top 10 lists uh, in Marvel Age, it's one of the top 10 books that Marvel is putting out month to month. So pretty popular stuff. Um, even though, as we say, military books seem to be a hard sell at this point in time. Yeah, it's funny. I, I opened up my notes page for Merck 5 and it was writer Peter David, pages one through four, Doug Murray, the rest. <laughs> oh my gosh. Just strange. And I wrote, nice gray moral cover, Crapola interior art. <laughs> Ah, uh, I mean, yeah, even the guys who did it were like slightly embarrassed by how it turned out. It sounded like sometimes um, Rockowitz's interview, see, see also. Um, and we start off with a series of stories that don't really seem um, to to add up to very much. But as it turns out, Murray was on the book t- all the way to the end from that point. So it's a eight uh, plus annual nine or 10 issue series where he is unfortunately kind of disassembling Mark's initial um, supporting cast and putting in a new supporting cast. But he doesn't... Um, he doesn't seem to get Mark Hazard himself. Uh, always sort of seemed to be the problem. Um, we had a so it started off with a fight uh, with his friend Mal, the explosives expert, and his sister, his sister's boyfriend, is trying to get killed. Uh, there's a new woman who named Priestess who shows up, and then we had the infamous um, Mark um, bodyguarding a. Uh, I guess he's supposed to be a neo-Nazi or something somewhere in Europe. And there's a fight with Treetop over how quick, how well he should adhere to his contract. And he ends up shooting Treetop and leaving that little uh, group of mercenaries. Um, But that's, you know, more covered probably in our previous recap episode. This um, should focus on 7 to 12, where... Seven, we had a Central America rescue mission for a commander 
Um, we met Doc, who is a uh, Vietnamese woman, I think, Sergeant Major, and a, a pilot named Ritter. Um, Ritter with the mustache. One of the Ritters. <laughs> um, Doc didn't uh, just stayed where they they uh, were, were performing the mission. So we've got Ritter and Sergeant Major as future recruits or something. Then they issue with a Vatican uh, mission uh, over in Beirut, look, trying to rescue a priest. And uh, Mark is teamed with a clean-cut young priest who's, I guess, also a psychopathic killer. But <laughs> I, I labeled him Jesus's favorite assassin. Um, then we get a... Uh, First appearance, maybe, of... Um, discount Mark Hazard. Discount Mark Hazard. <laughs> oh, actually, uh, before we get too far, uh, issue eight is another key issue. That's the first appearance of the treetop copter. The wheelchair <laughs> with a helicopter on the top with guns mounted on the side. <laughs> if, the, if he had just worked with the troubleshooters, he definitely could have made that dream into reality. Right. <laughs> teamwork makes the dream work um so we've got a, a new guy who who shows up looking for mark who's down on his luck the last couple of issues had him losing his regular crew then having trouble finding work and being you know supposedly you know, desperate for work so discount mark hazard um and his grandfather start putting together a mission where there's a uh, operation to deliver, was it stingers? Stinger missiles to the Taliban. The Taliban. We all love the Taliban, right? What could go wrong? The um, There's a second part of the mission that requires a decoy mission. And uh, Mark and Ritter and... Ritter without the mustache. And Mal, was it? Uh, uh, Mark and Ritter went on that one, and Mel and Discount Mark Hazard went on the actual delivery. That was the box labeled farm implements that actually had farm implements in it. Yeah, shoot them down. Uh, all I got back is farm implements. <laughs> Throw a rake at him or something. <laughs> so uh, the mission was a success, if you know. Uh, arming the Taliban is your definition of success. However, Mar Mark was captured in Iran, which would be not a good place to be in prison. Also, yeah, there, uh, there's a place called Bandar Abbas, which is a crappy prison in Iran. And Mark was being threatened. And um, I think they shot Ritter number two. Yes. Iron squad. Ritter so, Sands' mustache was murdered. So back home in New York, um, Discount Mark starts putting together a rescue team with Priestess, Sergeant Major, Treetop is back, Mal, and a new guy, Gar Bremby, a one-armed uh, weapons dealer. These guys um, all... Don't forget the random... Uh, Karate two school students. guy in sweatpants. <laughs> yeah. Priestess brought two students who uh, 
really should have gotten killed at that point. <laughs> they were fighting with swords and maybe a sigh or nunchuck. I don't know. It was like it's a bad plan. Yeah, not the best. But they uh, head over to um, the Straits of Hormuz or whatever. Um, the airdrop into the ocean some uh, inflatable rafts then they hijack a Iranian <laughs> ship take it into the harbor with the prison all this sort of thing Mark is uh, meanwhile being tortured and uh, I think they were ready to kill him too the next day but by the time the rescue squad gets there he is uh, uh, choked out and killed the guard who was coming to kill him so he's back in form but um, the next issue, they show more of this escape. He has to get out. Mark takes a detour to make sure to kill the warden who had uh, annoyed him. But they head back, take him back to the U.S. Lynn <coughs> Discount gives him a uh, letter telling him that his uh, who had set him up, like who told the Iranians that um, this decoy mission was uh, Mark. He goes back and um, almost immediately confronts the character from issue two, maybe? Henri yeah. Graymalkin. The, uh, there's a French businessman slash arms something. He's got he a shady, shady dealings that Mark Hazard had thwarted in the past, right? So it was sort of unclear um, maybe given what we got in the annual, it could almost connect it back to like one of those times where like Mark switched sides or was on the other side of some conflict that Grimalkin was in. But we'd be probably giving them too much of a benefit to connect those dots for the writer. That's true. <clears throat> um, whatever he was, the, in the previous issue, he had been uh, trying to kill Mark Hazard, but um, sort of getting Mark's ex-wife's new husband, um, sort of pumping him for information, or just this time, um, Mark basically gets that uh, uh, the new husband was purposefully trying to get him killed. And so uh, he kills Gray Malkin. Um, do not pull a gun on Mark Hazard. It's the lesson here. <laughs> Or if you get, don't miss. Don't miss. Goes back to um, his ex-wife's house, and in a final confrontation with the new husband, um, the guy confesses that he was trying to get Mark killed. They kill each other, basically, uh, or at least um, Mark ends up on the floor within an uncertain state. Ah, and thus, then thus ruining all of his tough guy credibility that we built up all until then, right? When you're getting shot, what, what is he, Frankenstein? Hazard, kill, kill, knock, yeah. knock the gun out of his hands and feed it to him. Come on. <laughs> so we were left uh, up in the air for a bit there as a 12th issue then becomes just Merc. So this and uh, Spitfire were the two books that changed title, literally. Um, 
Then Merck was just discount Mark Hazard and Sergeant Major still uh, working together, now training Afghan troops to take on Russian troops in Afghanistan. <laughs> and Discount's bright idea was to take the war to Russia. They will definitely not feel threatened by that across <laughs> their borders. Bringing a team of tens of Afghan fi- freedom fighters <laughs> and their children. <laughs> it's a um, strange tale of, I don't know. Well, not, you know, military strategy gone horribly awry. It's really dumb, but it gave us a chuckle. It did end up uh, like we were we're not quite sure whether this was uh, he was also getting killed on the last page. <laughs> um, <laughs> He's still out there to this day fighting against the Russians. And the Japanese guys on those islands that like didn't twenty years later didn't know the war was over. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, pretty much. Could be, yeah. So uh, this was a dark place to leave the book, but so luckily we got an annual and probably my favorite annual of the bunch. It was definitely the best Mark Hazard issue of the season. It was. It was a... Didn't uh, have much competition, though. <laughs> and amazingly, the same writer um, did, did manage to finish it out with a, a, a really solid story that both... Um, wrapped up Mark's current story, but gave us a lot of flashbacks to everyone's um, memories of Mark. Um, how, and, and you'd sort of piece together, you know, Mark's life through their eyes. So, um, and a lot of their eyes too, uh, or their own backstories. So we got the backstories of Sergeant Major, Priestess, Discount Mark Hazard, Treetop, Mal, um, I'm missing one, Joan, and yeah, uh, yeah. <clears throat> oh, altogether it was like a, a Forrest Gump um, collage of 1960s to 80s America, and uh, while it still didn't kind of get inside Mark Hazard, at least it gave us a solid story with him in the center, and uh, you know, really enjoyed that. And it paid off since the guy had been apparently working towards that for this entire phase of the project. I felt better about all of that by the end. Yeah, to a degree. So uh, what worked in Mark Hazard Merck? Um, Season two, nothing. (laughs) It was frustrating and... um, it had a couple of moments, but overall, it, yeah, not much. What was the problem? Again, I didn't, even the though they tried to switch him out, I didn't feel that like the guy hated Mark Hazard so much as just thought going in a new direction would be an improvement. But yeah, there's no reason to think that. They seem to want to kind of take Mark Hazard as more of like a, force of nature kind of thing like he would show up and be competent and tough and like win but like you know 
Peter David kind of ruined us with that interesting internal dialogue that Mark Hazard has. Like he might not say that much, but we know kind of what's going on in his head and it's interesting. Whereas like we just dropping that completely is kind of jarring. And then, uh, you know, like the missions were kind of cheesy and the, the new characters didn't get any introduction until the annual, which was the final bit of Mark Hazard you get. So, um, yeah, the, the writing, unfortunately, was just not good <laughs> as far as that goes. There's, there's not very much. And, I, and I, while like the moment in the annual of like, you know, they unplugged the life support was kind of nice. And I actually kind of felt that a little bit. The the death is so unsatisfying. It's just like, no, that's not right. <laughs> it's like if Rambo got killed by like one of the goons in the beginning, like a, a generic, you know, Viet Cong you know, fighter. And it's like, oh, isn't he supposed oh. to be the best? <laughs> Spends an hour on life support as each each of us goes and gives our memory of. I remember meeting Rambo. It was like '68 in Da Nang. <laughs> dun, 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 dun. Yeah. Or if, so, if Chuck Norris went to be back to Vietnam to rescue some POWs and didn't rescue anybody, it's unsatisfying. <laughs> If no one gets um, roundhouse kicked. So, I mean, because they were so early and saying that one of the characters was going to die, I could only assume that the sales were pretty low on this. You know? Yeah. And the genre like... is a hard sell. Yeah. Um, even with like the, the Nom doing well and the writer of Nom on this, for whatever reason, not doing his, his best, I can't imagine this was a big. And they were like, okay, we give up. <laughs> there was a twinge of we're going to reboot it. Um, not as much as we got from Spitfire, but you know, it seemed like they were totally heading for discount Mark Hazard for taking over for Mark Hazard. Um, and like by the covers and by the solicits and that kind of stuff. It seemed like they were building to that, but um, you know, it took a long time for one. Um, but then too, also... Yeah. You know, maybe by the time they were coming around to it, it was also like, okay, no, like nobody's buying this thing. <clears throat> yeah, thinking about it, you're right. This was, these issues were so open. Like I'd complained about a new writer being overwriting something before. Here, everything was kind of underwritten. Um, you know, like Starbrand, we all, I always say I really like because, you know, there's not a lot of, uh, writing it's 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 uh, open for art and it's um uh, well whatever it goes faster let's say um yeah. a lot of these issues had a similar you know amount of story but with you know less satisfying art i guess it wasn't you know, it also added up to feeling a little too brief sometimes yeah the the even the good the better peter david stuff was kind of wrecked by like very rushed looking art and then uh you know if if the art picked up a little bit then uh you know that's that's kind of uh, that, that was a bit of the problem like the the art was bad and the writing was good and then the art improved a little bit but then the writing tanked and boy yeah it's i don't know what to think because there even at this time there was um 
books, like book series. I mean, you don't even have like much in the way of men's adventure fiction anymore, but there was like, you know, Mac Bolan, the, the, the executioner. executioner. Yeah. yeah. That sort of stuff that uh, maybe influenced the Punisher it was still around. It wasn't as popular, but there were books about, you know, military um, teams. Um, so Soldier of Fortune was, I think, popular magazine. All this kind of th stuff was out there. So even, um, I always, you know, think that there should have, it should, you know, things like this should find an audience, but I don't know how possible that even was. Yeah, I mean, the, the era was like the king of the action movie too. Like, you know, from the, like the high-end stuff with Arnold and like Predator and stuff like that, like down to, you know, like the, lower rung movies uh direct to video and the the chuck norris's and stuff like that like there's just a ton of room for that kind of thing like it was really popular but maybe less so in the comic book world um but yeah maybe that's it you know it's like comic book fans aren't really always closely associated with like sports fans like kickers mm -hmm. and also maybe not like guns blazing action hero kind of fans too a little more like nerdy sci-fi superhero fans but i don't know yeah maybe it's yes. interesting yeah <laughs> like we're trying to get the normie audience maybe there's go for an outreach title maybe yeah. um, but i guess it was a tough sell new universe in general too so that's true because you know, i think they had good ideas but you were selling it to a very fickle comic book reading audience that likes their Marvel to be Spider-Man, you know? <laughs> I mean, at this point though, we're still on the newsstands. And so we've still got, um, I don't think it's gone completely into um, comic book shops. Certainly later it goes direct market only. Yeah. In the universe. But at this point, even if you know, there's, there's some stuff out there that, people will come across um, but if they don't recognize that's not iron man Ooh, I want this <laughs> there's a girl in there <laughs> oh. um, yeah it, it could have really benefited from like that kickers crossover would have been more fun than what we got or if there was like a paranormal that showed up or something like give me a little bit of like mark hazard and some guy giving him all he can handle kind of thing that would have been a real interesting um, direction to go. Like if yeah. there was some like invulnerable paranormal guy, like that Mark Hazard can't just shoot, and then they, they got to kind of figure it out, you know? Yeah, something um, that really challenged him with that. And then you know, as we've said before, also I, we're not looking into the crystal ball too much but we do know there's a like more militarized um aspect to the new universe coming up on the horizon we yeah. will definitely be missing our like central military figure uh, yeah it would have worked out through. maybe his son could take over <laughs> uh, child uh, soldiers are always pretty popular i gave this one a c as a series maybe bolstered by issue one and two fairly heavily <laughs> i'm almost thinking c minus honestly but uh let's see if i said c plus for spitfire yeah i'll take this down to a c as well it's a um 
slightly less satisfying than that, but it did have moments I greatly enjoyed. And as with most of the, you know, the, the rest of the books, starting off, I was, you know, yeah, this is fun. I'm, uh, it seems like a positive direction. Let's see where we go with this. And it, the payoff was pretty, was not satisfying, but. Uh, yeah. Spitfire, I'm, I'm kind of like, ah, I think they could have done this better, but I don't really, I wasn't really sad that it's gone. Merc was definitely like, I'm done. I'm tapped out. Like, I don't mind that it's canceled. Um, and then, you know, like Kickers, I can live with being gone, though I enjoyed it. And Nightmask is the one where I'm like, I really wish we had more Nightmask. Yeah, sort of thinking about it, I would say um, Merc was frustrating. Spitfire was frustrating. Kickers also, but, you know, it was sort of more lighthearted. So, um, but Nightmask was feels like it was sort of on the border like if it could have been renewed and it would have made as much sense to us but um i don't really think any of the um renewed series we were like oh why didn't this get canceled instead but um i don't know like i, I would say like cyforce to night mask was the kind of middle of the road yeah and so either of those could have flipped to the other side. And knowing what I know from reading ahead, I would trade one of these for Starbrand. <laughs> Spoilers, <laughs> but um, but I totally understand why you wouldn't cancel Starbrand because it, you know, was kind of like the initial star of the show. So. Yeah, it's uh, they're in a difficult spot with Shooter going, but they still got these titles going, and they're kind of don't want to keep producing them, but don't want to throw out the baby with the bathwater. I don't say. Yeah, maybe that's a good segue to our end point because clearly next time we'll be talking about the back. I don't know. What did we get? Like two issues of Starbrand <laughs> and all the other uncanceled series. Yes, we'll hit the books that um, were not canceled. Try to, uh, you know, point out their good points and, you know, whatever failings they had and um, wrap up the second part of our season two recap issue episode. Episode, yeah. Issues for comic, episode is for podcast. I must learn that before we get to the end of this thing. No, we won't. <laughs> but it's okay. <laughs> okay. Well, like we're drawing a salary. So let's see. Until uh, next week, um, catch us back at the same time and place. Same new universe time, same new universe channel. This has been the voice of the new universe, and we will see you then back at the spinner rack. <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs>